Well, good morning and welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Greg. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here and it is really, really good to be able to be with you this morning, to see you all here, to know that you all are connecting with us online. Uh, It really means a lot to us that you would take the time, make the space, and do all the things you need to do to join with us in whatever way you can. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Will you please join me as I pray? Your Father, I am grateful that, that whatever way we can connect, you, you provide those. Um, God, and it really is meaningful to be able to be together, to hear from you uniquely, the, the, the way that, that, that we only can when we are gathered. Um, and so I pray that you would speak to us in that space this morning, in that, in that posture this morning, that we would be aware that we're not just one individual here, but we're here with a bunch of siblings, a bunch of brothers and sisters. Um, and so help us to, to know that and to understand that and to love each other well. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're in week three of this sermon series called God is Love. It's this exploration of this letter written by the Apostle John. Um, and uh, it was kind of at the end of the first century. And one of the things that we've talked about a little bit is what that means is that, one, um, John was really old when he wrote this, like, Really old. And there are these sort of church traditions that what they would do is John would actually be brought in. Like he couldn't even walk on his own anymore. But they'd bring him in. They'd sit him down. And he would kind of look up and say, dear children, love one another. Right? And then he'd just stop. Right? That was all he had to say. Um, And then they would go on with all of their stuff. But it also means that, that the church is pretty young at this time. Right? And, and when I talked a couple weeks ago, I compared it to sort of being in its toddler phase. Right? And if you've ever been around toddlers, um, you know there's a lot of growth and development that has occurred, but there's still a lot more that needs to happen. There's a lot more that's, that's ahead. And so we, we catch the church in this very early phase of its existence. And John is writing to them in the midst of all the things they're encountering. Right? Whether that be the fact that Maybe a lot of them thought Jesus was going to come back before this moment got here. And so for many of them, they might be sitting there thinking, yeah, okay, so it was easy to get along with all y'all when I thought this meeting was going to end sooner, but now that I know it's going on, I'm having a little bit harder time being with all of you. Maybe John's writing in the midst of that. Maybe John's writing in the midst of a bunch of expectations that have gone in a bunch of different directions and he's trying to say, look, whatever you do, you gotta love one another. You gotta stay together. And so we we have that going on. There's a couple of things that we've noted throughout this that are gonna make this interesting and actually some things that you all noted too that I just wanna highlight again um, quickly. And one of those is that John can use a lot of what we call uh, dualistic statements, right? Where he says, it's either going to be this or that, right? It's, it's uh, love, hate, life, death, light, dark. There's all these sort of moves he's going to make, and he's going to say, there's no in between. You're either in one or the other. And for a lot of us, that made us kind of, we kind of tensed up a little bit because those are hard statements. As I thought about it some more, one of the things I'm experiencing right now is I'm teaching my oldest daughter how to drive. And there are times where we come up to an intersection and she says, which way are we going to go? And I said, oh, we're going to turn right. Okay. And she starts to turn right. And I realized, 
right was not specific enough, right? There needed to be like, it's, it's a hard right, or we're going to kind of veer right, or you need to come right more, right? And that all comes out as the corner's being turned, right? If it's too wide, I'm like, no, more right, more right. Or if it's too tight, I'm like, less right, less right, um, you know? But so, and, and the idea with that is some of these, these difficult statements, they get worked out in process, right? As we're moving along, in the song we sang earlier, we get to explore together what it means uh, to do this. And I think this is one of the things that John really is going to push in this letter is that these difficult statements, as hard as they are, they're meant to be lived out in community together with each other, kind of working with one another, calling each other on things, encouraging each other, but always moving together. Because as soon as we get on our own, and I would add to that, even when we get around people who only believe the same things that we do, we run the risk of getting into some really uh, dangerous spaces, some places where there's no one else to give input, no one else to give feedback, um, no one else to say, hey, this, this way, this is like a path of destruction, right, for not only you, but for the people around you. And so I think it's really helpful for us to be together um, and then the, the last thing the, uh, of these kind of things I wanted us to look at is that the thing that holds it all together is that God is love. It's the title of the sermon series that every single verse, really every single word of this letter is built off of that reality. And so hopefully we, we can move through these things and see these things as we go. Um, we're going to start uh, today, we're looking at... Uh, it's uh, 1 John 2, 7 through 17, so if you have your Bible, uh, you can go there. One last thing, uh, just because I, I love this analogy. Um, as we read these, I want you to think of it like surfing, right? We ride the wave, we engage with the wave, but we don't control the wave, we don't tell the wave what to do, we don't tell it how high to be, how fast to go, uh, all these kinds of things. And so as these things move us, Allow it to move you. Where does it take you? What, what does it feel like? What are you thinking? Pay attention to all those things and how, how you respond to those. Okay, now, 1 John 2, 7 through 17. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can read it, or you can, the verses will be online for you also. It says this, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. Sorry, I'm going to adjust. Um, Drew, I'm going to read out of my Bible, so can you flip the slides uh, just for the Scripture verses? Okay, I'll start again uh, with seven. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, elders, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young ones, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, elders, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young ones, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. 
Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, John... Uh, seems to break one of the cardinal rules of literature that I was told from uh, I don't know, as soon as I started creatively writing in school, which is, don't tell me, show me, right? I remember that being ingrained into me. No, no, no. Don't tell me what's happening. Show me what's happening. But John doesn't care about that, and he's just going to tell his readers exactly why he's writing. And he starts with a contradictory sort of statement where he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but I'm writing you a new command, okay? And what's happening here is John is being, um, I'm going I'm to use the phrase artistic, uh, because I believe that John, uh, he operates in these ways. We're going to see this a couple times in, in today's talk. But he says it's an old command. It goes back to the very beginning of the faith journeys of the people he's writing to. So the people reading it, he's saying from the very first, from the very moment you encountered Jesus, this has been part of your experience. And that this is the, at the very heart of what John's getting at. It's so critical that it was given to you at the very moment you started. And what is really cool about this to me is lots of times we say, I wonder what the early church was about. I wonder what they did. I wonder how they thought about things. I wonder what, we have an insight right here that John says, you know what? At the very beginning of every follower of Jesus' journey is this command. Whatever I'm gonna say next, this is at the very heart of what we talk about and what we do. And and last, uh, a few months ago, we were in this series called uh, discipleship, finding our way in Jesus. And we talked about what it meant to live, move, and have our being in Jesus. And this is John saying, this is, what this, this is what that's about. This is what it means to live, move, and have our being in Jesus. The first thing you're gonna learn is this command. It's an old command. But then, he says, but it's a new command. Because it's something that's being lived out embodied every day in the life of the church and every person in it. It's new because each day is new and unique. It's new because each person is unique and each person we engage with is unique. Every new day is a moment to be lived out where we can embody the love of God and explore what this command means and to see Jesus bring about amazing things. And so he says, it's an old command, it's a new command. But he also says it's a new command because this thing he's going to refer to, and we talked about it last week, darkness is fading and the true light is shining. And the true light is Jesus, and the darkness is really the absence of Jesus. And so what it's saying is Jesus comes into a space, and now Jesus is present there. And so the darkness, the absence of Jesus is fading. And here's one of those moments where John kind of, paints this two-option scenario, right? It's either light or it's dark, right? But I find, for me, my days feel like more of a mix, right? Sometimes I have to bring something into the light, 
Maybe there's something that I just realized, oh, that Jesus really needs to be in on this. So I bring it to Jesus. Other times, I kind of stumble into the light. I'm going about my day, and all of a sudden, oh, there's Jesus. Other times, walking in the light, walking with Jesus, and then we stray and we get off track. Sometimes it's gradual. Right? We might feel like we're still in the light and all of a sudden realize we're not. I don't know if any of you have had the experience of uh, <clears throat> driving in what's called uh, like a whiteout. Um, so when I was a student at a school on the other side of the state that I'm told I don't mention, um, <laughs> go kooks. Um, but it was after the, the Christmas break and I was driving back, so it's you know, kind of early in January and we hit Snoqualmie Pass and it was okay, kind of snowy, but once we got over the pass and started heading further east, it was awful, right? All I could see in any direction was snow, whether it was snow on the ground, snow in the air, snow on the road, snow on my car. The only difference was there was a car in front of me, and I could see their brake lights, but I had no idea where they were going, but I was following them because it was the only thing I had, right? So sometimes when we think about this idea of darkness, what I want us to really grasp onto is that it's, it's a space where we just don't know where we're going. We kind of can't see Right? Our senses have, have been dulled or overwhelmed. They talk about very similarly when you're learning how to fly. Right? Sometimes the horizon, it doesn't line up the way you want it to. You can't see it, and so you have to rely on your instruments. And, the, and people who have taken flight lessons will say it's completely, um, it, it just works against everything you feel. Right? You, you feel like you have a direction, but it's, it's difficult. And I was just listening to a a podcast where someone was talking about learning how to scuba dive, and they went scuba diving at night. I think they were doing a, a, one of the manta ray uh, dives, uh, and their flashlight went out. Now, they were with other people, but they said, I just grabbed onto somebody else because all of a sudden, in just a heartbeat, I had no idea which direction was which. I was just all of a sudden there, and, and I needed something to anchor me, right? And so that's kind of what this, uh, this is about, like this, this light and dark, Now, it really is kind of one of the key pieces to this whole letter because John is saying it's in the midst of those kinds of moments, those kinds of days, that you have to love one another. Right? And he goes on to say that anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. So he's saying this is one of the signs that you're in that space where you don't know where you're going, where you can't see clearly, where your senses are, are, are not really doing the things they're supposed to be doing, is when you hate a brother or sister. Because hate distances. Hate isolates. Hate says, get me as far away as possible, even when it means the destruction of another person. Some of the things we do, we use hateful words, hateful actions. Um, I recently started, as some of you know, I have Italian heritage, uh, and so um, <clears throat> occasionally I find, uh, like, mafia movies entertaining. Um, not really, but uh, no, really. Um, but um, so I, I started listening to this podcast called Our Thing, and it's uh, this guy, Sammy the Bull Gravano, 
and he uh, was with John Gotti and the, and the Colombo family, um, and then he, he turned state's evidence on them and, and all this stuff. But it's, he's telling his story, and one of the things that he says is, he says that he was really different because most of the people who, who joined the mafia, they're, they have family in the mafia, and, and they're connected through their relatives somehow, but he didn't. He said, my, my parents were good people, right? They worked hard. They provided for me and my siblings. Uh, they're really good people. Um, and, but he said one day he overheard his parents talking, and he said he heard his father say, you know, Sammy, he's just a bad kid. There's nothing we can do about it. It's just the way he's wired. We can't change him. We just got to try to sort of manage it. I imagine as a 13 or 14-year-old hearing my parents say that when I believe that they're good people, I believe that they know what's going on, but to hear them say, I'm not a good person, and then to look at where this person's life went. These are the hateful things that we can do. And I don't think that uh, Sammy or even his parents would say that they ever hated him. I think they would say they loved him. I think Sammy would say that they loved him. But do you see how it can get so mixed and muddled? John says that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of space where you get and you got to love one another. And he moves into this poem part of uh, the, the, the passage. And what he's going to do um, is, is he's going to identify uh, three groups of people, um, but he's going to be poetic again. And I just want to give you uh, another example, just so you, so you believe me. Um, if you look in John 2, uh, or in 2 John uh, 1, he addresses that letter to... Um, hmm. Drew, I might need your help. This just shut down on me. Hang on just a sec. Let's see. We might get it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to let you do it. <laughs> that's, that's way beyond my abilities now. Um, yeah, so he opens the letter and says, to the lady chosen by God and her children. And so lots of people thought, oh, this is some friend of John's in the church there, uh, someone who's been loved by God and has a family, and so this is a direct letter to them. But if you go to the next slide, the letter ends... The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings, right? And so now it's either he's saying, I know this uh, woman in the city I'm writing to and her children, and I'm saying this letter's to you. Oh, and by the way, the, your sister in this city where I'm at or in this place where I'm at send, and their children send their greetings. Most people say, no, this is John talking about the church, Right? There's the church in the area he's writing, and he refers to this as the lady chosen by God and her children. And the same thing from where he's from. Oh, yeah, the church here, everyone here sends their greetings. Right? So John will often use these phrases in unique ways. And so when we get to this section where it identifies children, and um, in the original uh, language it talks about um, uh, it talks about old men and young men. Um, but most people believe that it's talking about children is kind of referencing everyone, and then 
Um, the, the young men is just talking about people who are age-wise on the younger side, and the, and the old men is talking about elders, right? And so it's this way of sort of just referring to different groups within the whole community. And so what he does is he identifies these groups, but he doesn't just identify them. He talks to them and reminds them of who they are, right? And this is really important, because he says, here's, here's who you are. Dear children, because your sins have been forgiven, I'm writing you because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. He wants them to know, look, I'm, I'm writing to you because your sins have been forgiven. And he says, uh, and I just switched the order because it was chronologically made sense to me, but then he says, elders, I'm writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. And maybe the people who are hearing this go, yeah, wait a minute, we do know him who is from the beginning. And then he says, and the young ones, I'm writing to you because you've overcome the evil one. And you can start to feel the, yeah, we've overcome the evil one. This is really cool. Jesus has done this stuff in our lives. Now, he does something really interesting because in this section he says, I'm writing to you. It's got this present tense feel like you sort of get this look back when John's writing the letter. And I, John, am writing you. And they get into his head. But... When he switches to the second half, it moves to the past tense, I wrote you. And it's got this whole feel of what you're doing is the past connected to the present and it's going to build in to the future. Right? So he gets to the second section and he says, dear children, I've written to you because you know the Father. Elders, I've written to you because you know him who is from the beginning. And young ones, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you've overcome the evil one. These are really good things to hear. These are really good things to hear. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where someone reminds you, either through an action or a statement or some kind of encouragement of who you are in a way that just feels really good, but this is that moment. This is what John is doing because what he's going to say is this work of loving one another, it's really hard. And so I need you to remember who you are. You're children of God. And you're going to need to remember that as you move into these spaces of loving one another in these difficult times. And so what he goes on to say is, in fact, um, the, the space you're in, what he's going to call the world. And when John says the world, he means anything that's bent against God and God's will. Um, and we're going to get to this a little more in a second because it's kind of confusing when uh, the Gospel of John says, for God so loved the world, and then John and this says, don't love the world. We're going to parse that out. But he identifies three aspects of what it means to be in the world, or three aspects of the world. He says um, that they're the cravings of sinful people. And what he doesn't mean here, he doesn't mean that desire is bad. He's not saying like you can't ever have desire for anything, but... When desire occurs in human beings, often it gets carried out or tries to find its fulfillment in things that aren't helpful. And that the, the expression of that desire can be expressed in ways that are not following Jesus, that are walking in the dark, that are walking in hate, and often lead to destruction. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the lust of the eyes, which is most likely referring to kind of a covetous kind of thing where I see something that somebody else has and I want it, and so I might take it, 
or I might just like that person a little less. It's like uh, if you've ever seen Guardians of the Galaxy, at the end of it, one of the characters, the raccoon character named Rocket, they've, they've just been pardoned for all their crimes. They're mostly criminals. Um, but they've been pardoned because they saved the universe. And as they're leaving, this guy who's told them that they're pardoned says, but if you do anything illegal, we're going to arrest you. And the raccoon character goes, well, wait. So what if I see something that I want, but somebody else owns it? And the guy's like, no, that's still illegal. And he says, no, no, you don't understand. What if I want it more than the person who owns it? And he's like, no, still illegal. And he's like, well, that doesn't follow. You don't understand me. I want it more, right? And so there's this idea that when we see something that we want, sometimes we feel like, you know what? I deserve that. That should be mine. And we begin to have these kind of attitudes that set us against people, even in his statement. What if I want it more than that person? Like, they don't deserve it. I want it more. And that ties into the last thing, which is sort of boasting about the things that we do have. And it's not that we can't be thankful and we can't celebrate what we have, but oftentimes we walk in the status that something gives us in a way that we place ourselves above others and we treat others as less. And we start acting out of hate. And John says, these ways, these aren't the ways of the Father, but the ways of the world. And again, by world, John means anything that's set against God, anything that moves against God and God's will. And so John's going to say, we've got to move in different directions. We can't be like that towards each other. We can't be thinking about each other that I'm going to be above you because of the stuff I have. Uh, we can't be thinking about each other because of the, the lust of our eyes that I'm either going to objectify a person or I'm going to try to use them. Um, and so he says, that's not the way we behave. That's not the way we do things. And uh, this guy, Scott McKnight, has an interesting insight into this where he defines love as rugged commitment. And I really like that because when I think of rugged commitment, I think of I got to stick with it even when it gets difficult. I gotta follow Jesus, I gotta follow God, I gotta stay in the light, I gotta stay on the path, and with the help of each other, we can do that. But one of the challenges to all this is that, again, we start to move away from people. We wanna be separate, because the more I'm around people, the more their ideas, their, their questions, their challenges, their encouragement, it, 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 it can impact me. And maybe I don't like that. I, I kind of want to be on my own. I want to do my own thing. And so we start to form ideas about who we are. And I want to ask the question of us, what shapes who we are? How do you know who you are? What things do you allow tell you? Is it the sum of our experiences? Is it just my thoughts? Is it the world? Is it my friends? Is it my socioeconomic status? What, what things do I allow to sort of shape and define who I am? A few months ago, we were in that, in that discipleship series, and one of the things we did is we had some of you share about some different things about discipleship. And Heather Weichart got up here and talked about how uh, her identity for a lot of times she would find is based on her job, 
who she was related to, um, uh, you know, being married to Marty, um, who she loved, all these kinds of things, right? And, and that, um, you know, even the stage of life, like uh, lots of times when, you know, uh, if, if we have kids and our kids grow up and move away, now we're empty nesters, right? This is part of our identity. And so she talked about all that and then how all that changed when they went to England and were working in the UK. And she said, there was just a bunch of stuff that I, I leaned on that I didn't have anymore, those identity sort of pillars that were gone. And what I discovered, she said, was that I was a child of God. That was the thing. That was the thing when all the other things were stripped away, all the other things were challenged, all of it was shaken up. She was a child of God. What if we went into every situation we're currently in fully believing, I'm a child of God? How might that change how we engage in those spaces and places? Not just if we kind of ran it through our heads, but if we believed fully, completely, that we were children of God. And that leads to my, my questions that I have for us. So at this point, I'd like to invite the worship team back up. Uh, the prayer team will be up, ready for if you need prayer for anything. Um, but it is, uh, as we do that, it is my hope that... Um, we can leave today, we can go today, hearing even some of those things. Maybe there were some of those things that John was writing in the I'm writing to you, I have written to you section that were really important for you to hear today. You've been forgiven on account of Jesus' name. You know the one who is from the beginning. You're strong. You've overcome the evil one. Maybe there's something in one of those that is really resting with you today or maybe one that you feel like, oh, I really would like to feel that right now because I don't. But if you're following Jesus, those things are all true. And so I hope whatever situations you're in, that you can go in with that deep understanding of that reality of being a child of God. I'm going to pray. Uh, I have the, I'll ask these questions, and I'm going to pray, uh, and then the worship team will, will play for a minute to give us a time of reflection, then we'll close uh, with a song and a benediction. But my questions are these. Number one, who are you in Christ? Just who are you? Right? And what are the things that come to mind? What does your imagination take you with that? And then secondly, how does your understanding of who you are in Christ facilitate opportunities for you to love God Love your siblings in Christ and love those around you who may not be following Jesus. So really it's asking, how do you love God and how do you love everyone else? What does that understanding of being a child of God or whatever thing came up for you when you thought about who you are in Christ, how does that give new opportunities to love? God, I give you great thanks for this day. I give you great thanks for this letter. And for John, the things he was on about, the things he was thinking about, the challenges he faced that got him to this point where he could say, God is love. I thank you that we have an eye into the, 
the heart in, in, in these beginning phases of the church, that when things were getting rough and, and, and they were trying to figure out what to do for John, it was, you got to lean into this. God is love. you got to love one another. And that we can do that because we're children of God. And so I pray for each one of us. We would have a new sense this morning of what that means to be a child of God, to be delighted in, to be loved, to be cared for, to be held and kept and sustained and challenged and empowered. You say the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And I pray the areas that we're afraid to go love in or that we're mad and don't want to go love in or, or whatever, you'd help us to go there. And the areas we're already loving, God, just increase that. Um, yeah, so help us realize who we are in you and then uh, move off of that. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.